This is Almo Roper, recording in New York. In a little over two weeks from now, the British people will go to the polls to vote in one of the key elections of this century. This past week, electioneering on the part of the ruling Labour Party, the insurgent Conservative Party, and the marginal Liberal Party went into high gear. All over England, Scotland, and Wales, doorbell ringers were busy calling on their neighbors. Orators were hurling charges and countercharges. The election in Britain is in full swing. Today, I would like to take a look at some of the major issues in this British election as we have analyzed them from the results of recent surveys of British public opinion conducted by Mr. Mark Abrams and his organization, Research Services Limited of London. For the past several years, Research Services has been testing public opinion in Britain, and some of the more recent shifts in emphasis in British public opinion might have a decisive bearing on the outcome February 23rd. For most of the Western world, the election in Britain shapes up as a choice between a Labour Party, which is firmly committed not only to the welfare state, but to state socialism, and a Conservative Party, which is opposed to state controls and stands squarely for free enterprise. With the exception of the Scandinavian countries, Britain today stands alone among the Western countries as having a government which, while standing for democratic freedoms, also stands for full government responsibility for the economic well-being of its citizens. If the Labourites win the election, it is expected that the Labour socialist idea of democratic government will take on new life among the other democracies. If the Conservatives win, it will be taken as a sign that the Western peoples want to maintain a democratic government, but one which allows private industry to carry the main burden of economic responsibility. Posed in this manner, the election in Britain becomes crystal clear, and this is the way many people are posing the issue today. Yet we have found in the research services surveys that things in Britain are not quite as black and white as this. To be sure, the issue of nationalization is an important issue. For instance, the number one thing all sections of the British people expect the conservatives to do if they come to power is to take a good many of the controls off private industry. Specifically, the issue of nationalization today revolves around the nationalization of three industries, iron and steel, the insurance companies, and the sugar industry. On all three, public sentiment has been running roughly the same. Of the people who have opinions on nationalization of these three industries, opinion is approximately two to one opposed to nationalization. But in each case, there is a large group, roughly one-third of British voters, who say they are undecided or they don't know. Now, normally, such undecided voters are usually the least articulate groups in any survey. But on this nationalization issue in Britain, there are indications which point to an opposite conclusion. For instance, when the British people were asked how nationalization was making out, some 21% said they thought it was working well. Another 11% said they simply had no idea. The largest single group, coming to 41%, said they thought it was not a success. But a large 27% said it was too early to tell. And thus, more than one-third of the British people said they either didn't know or they were on the fence on this issue. What this means is that while the conservatives will be helped somewhat by the nationalization issue, the issue of socialism will by no means be a fatal cross which the laborites must bear. For there is a good deal of active sentiment for nationalization and many more who have a wait-and-see attitude. But actually, this whole issue of socialism or full government control of industry is far from being the only issue in the British elections. An issue which has been given first priority by all three parties has been that of full employment. 
This is a concept which has taken hold in an increasing number of countries in the West these past few years. The idea is exactly the reverse of large-scale unemployment, which was so characteristic of both England and America in the 1930s. It is now pretty well agreed that democratic governments do have a responsibility for keeping unemployment at as low a level as is possible. Unemployment in Britain under the Labour government has been kept to a bedrock low. And on this full employment issue, the balance would seem to tip toward the Labour Party. In England today, a common Labour Party slogan is, Ask Dad. By this, the Labour rights are trying to remind British voters, especially the younger voters, that under pre-war conservative governments, there was mass unemployment in England. And to a large extent, the Labour slogan has taken hold. One of the most frequently heard and widespread fears of almost one-third of the British people today is that under a conservative regime, wide unemployment would begin again. The economic promise of the conservatives is not so much that they will eliminate unemployment as it is that they will raise the standard of living for everybody and will reduce taxes on the middle class. In the case of taxes, raising living standards and keeping full employment, there are sharp differences by economic levels in Britain. The upper classes are inclined to believe more that the conservatives will cut taxes and raise standards of living. The lower classes on the economic scale are more inclined to expect unemployment in the event of a conservative victory. But over the past six months, the trend in British thinking has been to associate the Labour Party more and more with full employment and the Conservative Party more with unemployment. To counter this charge, the conservatives are now repeating over and over that they stand equally firmly for full employment. A similar situation exists with respect to another very important issue in this British election. That is the question of social services, or what we here in America have come to call the welfare state part of the Labor Party program. Under Labor, many social insurance and welfare programs have been expanded. Perhaps the most controversial issue of all is also the most popular measure of all. That is the national health scheme under which the people of Britain are assured medical assistance from their government. Almost a third of the British people cite this as the Labour Party's outstanding achievement in its past five years in office. Other welfare measures which are popular with the British voters are the Children's Welfare Program, which includes distribution of milk in the schools, better balancing of diets and other such items. The increases in old age benefits which have been voted by Labour also come in for a good deal of praise. According to the British voters, the main rub with this program of social welfare which Labour has embarked on is that it costs too much. To pay for the cost of government, the British today have 40% of their annual income taken away in taxes. In America, we tax scarcely half of that, and we don't consider our taxes low. So there is some sentiment in Britain today for curtailing some government expenditures for social services. But the balance here appears to be weighted in Labour's favor. The British people want the welfare benefits they have received, and in fact, if Labour is returned to office, they fully expect more of the same. It's curious indeed that the Conservatives have sensed that the British people find the health scheme and free meals and old age security benefits popular, and so they have campaigned on the platform that they will maintain these welfare measures. The formula Mr. Churchill is trying to use is the same one the Conservatives so successfully used in Australia back in December when they unseated a Labour Party government. They do not oppose the welfare state, but they do oppose the socialist state. They make a sharp difference between the two and claim that it is perfectly feasible to have free enterprise and still have an extensive and complete social welfare plan. The labor orators are plumping hard on the charge that social services will be drastically cut if the Tories come back to power. 
There are two other issues which these surveys of British opinion have indicated are important in this election, and both are tied up with the economic existence of the people. One works in the Labour Party's favor, and the other to the advantage of the Conservatives. There is a fear on the part of almost 30% of the British people that if the Conservatives come to power, they will not have the confidence the Labour Party has had from the trade unions of the country. The result, these people fear, will be widespread industrial disputes, strikes, and lockouts. The belief on this issue is that in a tightly restrained economy such as the British have today, it's imperative that pressures be maintained to keep both wages and prices down. It's the feeling of many Britishers that only a labor government can get the trade unions to voluntarily give up demands for wage increases. The conservative answer to this is that the labor unions have been restless anyhow. And no matter who is in office, a certain number of strikes are inevitable. But this seems to operate to the advantage of the Labour Party as far as influencing British votes is concerned. The other personal economic problem which appears to work in the Conservatives' favor is that of the queues, the long lines people stand in to get their supplies. Winston Churchill the other day called the system of bulk buying and rationing and long lines of shoppers Labour's Qtopia. Actually, there's a division of opinion about these fair shares, as the labor government calls them. With poorer people, the rationing system has been a success. These people feel that their standard of living has improved and that there has been a more equitable distribution of food. But among the middle class and the upper income groups, the queues have created widespread dissatisfaction. And this is borne out by the fact that the labor party today is far less popular among women voters than it is among men. And this pattern is the case with every income level. Much as was our experience here in America in 1946, it appears that rationing tends to favor the opposition, in this case, the conservatives. In all this discussion we have had up to now about the issues in the forthcoming British election, we haven't made any mention of foreign policy. In America, we appear to be heading for some major debates on foreign policy. Not so in Britain. One of the chief things people would expect a conservative government to do would be to hold the empire together more than the labor government has done. However, this seems to be more a tribute to the personal leadership of Winston Churchill, the conservative leader, than to the conservatives. Difference of opinion among the members of the three major parties, labor, liberal, and conservative. For instance, on the question of how policy in Germany was being handled, the British were pretty evenly divided. Roughly 40% of the people thought the Allies had been too soft with Germany. About the same number, coming to 41%, thought the Allies had had about the right amount of toughness with the Germans. And only some 3% thought the countries of the West had been too tough with the former enemy. The remaining 16% didn't know. But when the answers are broken down by party membership, the results, and this may surprise you, the results indicate no division according to party lines. The Labour Party members are divided just about the same way the country as a whole divides. The same is true of the Conservatives and the Liberals. Or on the issue of Red China, it was found that the number of Labourites who thought a special effort should be made to be friendly with a new government was only slightly lower than the percentage of Conservatives who thought that way. Curiously enough, the Liberal Party, which stands squarely in the middle between the two larger parties, contains the largest percentage of people who wanted the British to take special efforts to seek the friendship of the Chinese communists. And this is especially interesting, since it's a widespread belief here in America that it was the British socialists who led the drive to recognize Red China. 
The facts are that sentiment for recognition in Britain among the people runs heaviest among non-socialist voters. As of the moment, there appears to be no serious cleavage in foreign policy in Britain, and it may be assumed that foreign policy will play a very minor role in the outcome of the voting some two weeks hence. We find, then, in looking over the principal issues which the people of Britain mention as being focal for their election, that there are a good many different things on which there is a division of opinion. Opposition to further nationalization of industry is perhaps the chief asset the conservatives have. But even here, sentiment is not overwhelmingly against labor's position. There are many who say it's too early to tell about nationalization. The Labor Party's side, there's the prevalent fear that the conservatives will create a depression. And the laborites have reminded the voters to ask Dad about the depression of the 30s. The issue of strikes and rationing give labor and the conservatives each a plus and a minus. Perhaps the most interesting development is that the conservatives in England are following a pattern for which the Republicans in America were much criticized in 1948, and that is the policy of so-called Me Tooism. On almost all welfare measures, the conservatives not only take some credit for their origin, but also vigorously promise to keep and maintain what the people already have. The welfare state is not an issue in England today. Winston Churchill, that granite block of conservatism, is for it. However, the socialist state is an issue, and if the Tories should win, the nationalization and tax issues can probably take the chief credit for it. But on foreign policy, there's the same kind of bipartisanship which we have grown accustomed to here in America. Next week, we will have the results of a survey Research Services is conducting right now among the people in Britain. We will report to you how the outcome looks then, about a week before the British people go to the polls in their momentous election. We will also report to you in full what Mr. Mark Abrams, who conducts the British surveys, has to say about making a prediction of the outcome. In many ways, the British elections bring back familiar memories to Americans of some of our elections in the recent past. And it's a good guess that the outcome in Britain will affect the thinking of many in America who have the responsibility for deciding how far to the left or to the right the West will go. Good afternoon. You have been listening to Elmo Roper, noted public opinion analyst, in his recorded report on where the people stand. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.